Welcome to History 605, the South Dakota State Historical Society's podcast, where we talk to historians, curators, filmmakers, artists, and authors about how they interpret the past. We can meditate and wonder whether our descendants, because I think they'll still be here, what they will think about us. And let us hope that at least they will give us the benefit of the doubt. I'm Dr. Ben Jones, South Dakota State Historian and Director of the State Historical Society. Join me and our guests as we think historical. So it is most appropriate and fitting that in our first year of our second century that this should also be a year of reconciliation between the Indian people and the non-Indian people alike. History 605 is sponsored by the Groover Family Trust and done in partnership with South Dakota Public Broadcasting. Welcome to the show. Welcome to History 605. Or should I say, welcome to this episode of History 605 Live. We recorded this episode in front of a live audience at the Historical Society's annual conference last April. My guest was a very special man by the name of Francis Whitebird. Francis is a Rosebud Sioux tribal member who has a passion for the Lakota language. We spend our conversation talking about the Lakota code talkers of the First and the Second World Wars, a bit about Francis's experience in Vietnam, but more importantly, we discuss the nature of the Lakota language and the aspects of it that reinforce the concept that language and culture are so powerfully one and the same. You'll learn about what Crazy Horse, Sitting Bull, and Sue really mean, and how mistranslations seem to persist. Francis has a graduate degree in education from Harvard, served in Governor Mickelson's administration, and was a combat medic in Vietnam. Our next annual conference will be April 21st and 22nd, 2023, in Pier and online. The theme is History Makers in South Dakota. Check out history.sd.gov for keeping up on the details. But in the meantime, I hope you'll listen to Francis in this episode of History 605 Live, recorded in Pier, April 23rd, 2022. Uh, I will defer to Francis to do the inter- I'll defer to Francis to do the introductions. Go right ahead, sir. Well, tuanto no maga no magunke na you had chante washta na petuza pelo na inoaki ham he has one pratures by chata uno atuaki askeke de pemni petuza by ona ham khata we chasa if you were German in World War I or World War II, that's what you would hear, and you wouldn't understand it. The <laughs> Kota <laughs> <laughs> talkers were in World War I, there was 40 of them. In World War II, there were 79. My father was a Lakota code talker, and in 1968, um, when I uh, was in the army, he, I happened to uh, visit him, and he told me he was a code talker. It was that year that they were allowed to tell people that they were code talkers. They took an oath. 
And the reason is, from what I gather, there was going to be um, possibility of fighting with Russia. And they wanted to keep that, the co-talkers under wraps so they can use them again. The Navajos, on the other hand, with the Marine Corps, they were jumping up and down and beating their chest uh, because, <laughs> because they, they beat Japan and Japan didn't have a chance to rise, so they're up there, you know, doing that. Anyway, <clears throat> Lakota language, uh, most people think that when they look at pictures of my ancestors having great physiques and riding bareback and um, shirtless running across the prairie, that they figured Lakota language was a bunch of burps and um, whatever, um, that it, there's um, not much to it. Lakota language, and I'm basing it on the works of Eugene Beagle. He was a Jesuit priest. Uh, he was uh, born in Germany, joined the uh, Jesuits. Of course, to join, you have to learn Latin. Then came to America, learned English, and wound up in, first in Holy Rosary, then went to St. Francis and uh, learned the language. He recorded um, 165 individuals for this work over 40 years. So this isn't just something that two or three people got together and decided to write a dictionary. One of the things that has happened within history since it is a history conference, we were misnamed. Somebody said we were Teton Sioux. Teton is a French word meaning women's breast. And if you have any um, dispute with me, uh, go to the Yellowstone uh, website and you can duke it out with the uh, Park Service. Because <laughs> they're the ones who put that on there. Sioux is a derivative of Chippewa and French. I am a Lakota. I don't speak Sioux. I speak Lakota. I don't speak Teton. I am a Lakota. I don't speak Native American. I speak Lakota. And who here ever hear somebody speak Native American? No one. So I asked some of my buds, I said, how come they're calling us Native Americans? Somebody said, yeah, they reduced us to nothing. We don't have an identity. People up here had, today had given presentation, Lakota Sioux. I'm not Lakota Sioux, I'm Lakota, period, end. Um, the Sioux is what they called us as a derogatory term. 
like chief. It is a derogatory term in the military. One of the things about Lakota language, and it has some characteristics. One is it's um, polysemic. It has um, many meanings. Give you for an example. There is a place called Shicha Hollow, up around Sistan someplace. Mm -hmm. Well, in that case, I did research and, and Shita, the word by itself, Shita is bad. But in that case, it's spooky or haunted. Yeah. Haunted, hollow. There's a place called Makoshita. Oshita, the word, is to spoil like meat, spoiled earth. So it depends on how you use it. It could mean all different kinds of things, uh, depending on how, what, it, what, depending on the word following it. And good is the same way. There's a town called Wasta on the way to Rapid City on I-90. Actually, it's, called, it's supposed to be called Washte. Good, but then. It was spelled W-A-S-T-E. So when I see it, I look at the English side of me and say, waste. And sometimes it applies. Oh. <laughs> it's supposed to be wash day. Well, you have to, if you put the diacritic marks on it, it will come out wash day. If you don't, it comes out waste. So, I drive along I-90 going to Rapid and see waste as I drive by. There's uh, all kinds of misnomers. There is a place called Baha Sapa. Now, in Lakota language, we have the Black Mountains, Khe Sapa, Khe Sapa. But apparently the people who came first couldn't make those guttural sounds, so they chose Baha, which is made from the tip of the tongue. English is made from the tip of the tongue. Lakota language has sounds that come from the back and also sounds that come from the nasal. And I should, when I taught, I taught my students, that has all three sounds, twice. If you say that correctly, you're doing good. And Lakota language is also holophrasic. That means one word can mean a whole sentence. Um, Take that word Teton, and, and people are using it as their first names around here. And I thought, I wonder what they know what it means. It's not a Lakota word, it's a French word. Right. 
But there is a Lakota word, ti wam, okay? Three syllables, ti and wam. And when you translate it, you translate it backwards. So wa is shortened from wanji, wan. Tru is born. And ti, interestingly, has three words. Family, fan, tipi, and prairie. Um, and when you translate it, it says one born to a family who lives in a teepee on the prairie. That is us, Titron. That's what I am, historically. Um, I live in a house now, so I don't live in a teepee. <laughs> <laughs> well, let, let's, let's uh, back up for a second. So, um, uh, Francis's uh, introduction would include uh, service in Vietnam, where he's a recipient of a Purple Heart. It would include a bachelor's degree at SDSU and a master's in education at Harvard. Um, Francis has also served as the cabinet secretary for Governor Mickelson as the tribal relations secretary. Is that, that what the title was at the time? Commissioner of Indian Affairs. Commissioner of Indian Affairs. So yeah. it's changed since then. Okay. Um, Francis has also served on the uh, board of trustees for the Historical Society for nine years. I think you were on there. Um, I've always enjoyed talking to Francis, and uh, my first conversation, I think you were still on the board, and uh, it was COVID, and I was down in my basement office at my house, and we had a nice uh, conversation. I thought it would be 15 minutes or so. I think an hour and a half later, we got off the phone, but I didn't regret one second of it. It was a wonderful conversation. Um, during that conversation, you you uh, mentioned some of these things about the types of language and clearly the tie between language and culture and how strong it is. Um, uh, I'm wondering, how is Lakota then different from English? Well, as I started to talk about the characteristics of Lakota language, English is um, specific and concrete. It's a good business good contract language. Uh, most businesses use English as their way to, you know, conduct it. Lakota language, it implies, it references. And so <laughs> you don't want to you don't want to get into a contract using Lakota language because there's <laughs> all kinds of loopholes in it. <laughs> and different interpretations and, mm -hmm. and uh, you're going to be sunk. So what would that do for, what's the implications then for treaties? Well, If one side know, thinks very concretely and the other side thinks very... One of the things of treaties, and I'm glad you brought it up, is um, the interpreters. I read the very first dictionary made on Lakota language. It was written by a, a uh, West Point graduate uh, at Fort Laramie, and um, it was a thick, it was a real thin, small uh, dictionary. It had like good, bad, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, stuff that a kid would learn. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're talking about, you want to go to the bathroom or what do you want? 
you know, are you hungry, are you thirsty, that kind of, that level. One of the words that was misinterpreted, and you must remember, the Lakota guy doesn't speak English, and the English guy doesn't speak Lakota. Much less like I spoke Lakota to you, he didn't understand it. And so how do we communicate? Arm waving and all that kind of stuff, finger waving. And so the word crazy was misinterpreted. It was used, uh, the word that came out was wichko. It is a shortened version of wichkotkoka. It's like a four-year-old running around kicking people in the shins, you know, they don't know societal rules, and so they misbehave, and they're allowed to do that when they're four years old, but they're not allowed to do that when they're eight. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so you go through history, and there's a guy named Crazy Horse, but his Lakota name is Tashunkaiwichko, okay, Ta is, uh, he owns. Shunka is shortened from Shunka Kha or Shunka Wakha, and Wichko is shortened from Wichkotkoka. So you have three words. Okay, so how do you interpret that into English? So how you do that is, and you have to use um, specific English language. So he, it's correctly translated, it means he owns a foolish horse. That's what it means. Doesn't mean crazy horse. Our word for crazy is ganashkia. Different from wichko. Mm -hmm. Ganashkia. Wichko They're not even close. But there was a translator who used probably that language, that dictionary, and said, oh, your name is crazy horse. Another one is a guy named Sitting Bull. I did some research on him, and I, I, I bought the Sitting Bull census uh, record. When he surrendered, he came back from Canada, and he surrendered. Um, and he was, um, he was at um, 48s. Now, there's a, there's a word, uh, iotaka. Iotaka is, is like you say, iotaka yo. That means a little kid, unit. And the Lakota language, I developed into four different levels. And I used the models of a guy named Eric Erickson, who I believe is a sociologist, is, developed 16 stages of man, and later he reduced that to eight. And another one, uh, Lawrence Coburg, uh, he was at Harvard, and he had a theory of moral development, and they have these models. And so what I did was I took the language and I filled in what the model did. And Iotaka is, functional, like little kid, you know, you tell these little kids. Because it's, well, the reason I say call them functional is, you want to go, have to go to the bathroom, it's over this way, you know. But 
there are other stages, and then there's the abstract. The abstract is where uh, one word has a, a uh, sounds like something from the bottom. There's a word, iotaka, iotaka, okay. And then there's the word, iotaka. There's an end in there, lodged in between the letters, iotaka. So the translator didn't know the difference between Iotaka and Iotanka. And so he said, oh, sitting bull, you know. The correct translation is he is greater than the herd bull. When you look at his accomplishments, protected the family, he's a great warrior, spiritual leader. I mean, he, would, he did, did all that. Incredible person. Sitting bull. That's where translators have really... And, and, and then the question comes, comes across, why do we have to translate our names? When you saw a presentation here with Japanese name, why don't they translate their names. Or some of your names, some of you are Germans that have, they mean something. Milk and a cow or something, you know, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and in your languages, you know, and then there's that perception that when you look at an Indian person, uh, that you expect them to know their language and their culture and all, the, all that sort of thing. And then the question I have to ask you is, you know, what's your heritage and do you speak your language? Do you speak it fluently? Yeah. Why, why are we applied to a different standard than what you are living? And, and you know, throughout history, every work, and it started with um, the translators, and then there are those people who come, and um, it's called cultural appropriation. They take one word, like there's a word that was kept pretty much secret. Not used in public, I should say, not secret. It was not used in public because it was used in spiritual prayer. And it was called me, and, and it's been mispronounced, and I'm not gonna give the correct pronunciation of it, but I'll use what's out there. Mitakwe Oyasin. And then somebody said, uh, all my relatives. So there's a book out. It's uh, published by somebody from the University of South Dakota. And this guy doesn't speak English, Lakota. But he took a word from the abstract level, and then he's telling me what Mitakuya Oyasi means. Well, first of all, it's mistranslated or mispronounced, but he's telling me what it means when he doesn't speak Lakota. And academics saying, yay, you know, look, look how great he is. 
he he trained he trained with people who didn't speak Lakota, who who copied from each other. And then I read a book about Crazy Horse, and they said Crazy Horse said this and Crazy Horse said that, and he did this. So the first question I have is, where's the Lakota language at? Oh, are you making it up? They're making it up. And somebody says, Lakota, uh, Crazy Horse is the greatest warrior in Lakota history. So I went back and looked and looked. It was made by a white guy. And so the very first question I said, okay, well, what did he do? How many people did he kill? How many, how many um, battles has he won? There's no record. During the Vietnam War, one of our um, guys from Rosebud, he was a crew chief on a helicopter. I was talking to him and I said, uh, what's, you know, what's, um, how many people have, and, and, and here's the way it works, there are two gunners and two pilots. So the two machine gunners, whatever they kill, is piled into, into the whatever it is, and at the end, they divided up all the kills. They each have uh, 60 kills, no, 80 kills. Each, the pilot and co-pilot, they didn't shoot, so the two on the side have to do the shooting to cover for them. So he had to kill um, 160 kid, 160 enemy confirmed kills. Not unconfirmed. There was probably more than that. And one of our guys was from Washington D.C. and they asked about this guy, and they said, "Yeah, he said he's a real killer. He has a body count like nobody." So there is one guy here that has 160 kills. How many did Crazy Horse have? We have an enrolled member who did 400 missions over North Vietnam. He was a pilot. Then you have um, the co-talkers, Lakota co-talkers in World War I. They helped Germany win the war. And Lakota co-talkers in World War II. They helped Germany win the war. And the thing about winning, I mean, the co-talkers came from the greatest generation. And they helped defeat Germany, and the Germans were killing off a lot of the minorities, maybe all of them. The Japanese were doing the same thing too. They were killing them all off. Had the Axis powers won the war, and there would have been no minorities. I wouldn't be sitting here because they'd kill us all off. So the greatest Lakota warriors are from the greatest generation, and they are the Lakota co-talkers. There is a record, a record of the United States winning the war. And these people, these men, there were eight from my tribe, 
um, my father being one of them, they didn't tell anyone what they did. No honors, nothing. Navos were over there jumping up and down and doing whatever. But over here, they were sitting there just keeping their mouth shut. And they died, they died with it. And I'm happy that under Jay's leadership, there is a Code Talker exhibit <laughs> at the Cultural Heritage Museum. That's something that people need to know. You hear individually, but as a group, they have done a lot. And they were true to the word. And one of the things about coming from, and, and you know, people say, oh, they're warrior society born to kill. I had to learn how to kill. And I remember one time we were in triple canopy in the jungle in the mountains. And we couldn't get a, a proper sighting on them. On the, um, we couldn't see the sky. So you couldn't see anything around you. And we didn't, we didn't know where we were. So people were trying all kinds of things. And somebody said, hey, he said, Doc's a Sioux Indian, they, they never get lost. <laughs> so I said, listen, gang, I said, I come from South Dakota, you can see 10 miles all around me. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. So there's that perception that somehow or other, we, I mean, I'm just as lost as the other guys. There's no innate thing in me. I had to learn everything. I learned how to shoot and, well, I, learned, I already learned how to shoot, but I was taught how to do the um, M14 and M16. And we, when we were in jungle training, they taught us how to shoot the AK and the SKS, um, different things like that. So I want you to throw out any misconceptions that we are bloodthirsty and we do this and we do that. We're just like anybody else. I mean, I grew up in a Catholic school. One of the things that drilled and pounded in my head was something called Ten Commandments. And one of them is thou shall not kill. And it, didn't, it just said, thou shalt not kill. And here I am in a place where killing is, happens every day. People die. And they didn't say, thou shalt not kill except in a war. They didn't say that. They just thou shalt not kill. So you have to get over through all that and process it yourself as you go through as you go through from your first kill till the time you get out and you become hardened because your friends and your, your um, company people are getting wounded and getting killed and you get hardened from that too. And so don't ever believe that we're 
natural warriors or whatever. We're just like anybody else. And one of the things that people said very proudly and probably correctly is the fact that at one time Indian people joined the military in large numbers in proportion to the population. That was true then. It's not true now. It's not true because the military has become very technical with weapons, with computers, and whatever it is that they do. Um, both of my sons were in striker units, and one of the strikers had a motor, and they can hit a target while the striker is moving. And that takes computer skills to do it. So what does that lead to? You have to have literacy. And you have to be able to comprehend. Um, everything the Army does is in the handbook, even the saluting. You know, it has to have this, this angle and got to do this. And, uh, they can show a picture of you. So the basic training, you have to get up there and salute the whole time. You know? So they have something called ASVAB tests, and the kids are not passing it. We had two recruiters from Rosebud, one Army and one Marine. They both wrote letters back to Todd Connick Tribune, it's the weekly paper, and they said, the interest is there. They want to go in the military but they cannot pass the ASVAB test. Which says a lot for the education system on the reservations. And then I know that um, with the GI Bill, um, with the way it's constructed now, you can go to college four years and have the whole thing paid for. And that have zero debt when you come out. I know that because I have two, two sons that went through that. Now, reservation kids can't even get that. They cannot even get that. Get in to use that to improve their um, education. So anyway, uh, I want to say again that the Lakota co-talkers from the greatest generation are the greatest Lakota warriors. They won the war. Crazy Horse lost his. And that's how I, I describe it. The national recognition that you talk about, uh, that was passed in the year 2000, uh, honoring the co-talkers act. Senator Bingman from New Mexico, I think still with a Navajo bent, but it did include, I believe, um, the Lakota as well. President Bush had a ceremony in, the, in 2001. Um, what was the response to that at Rosebud about the, that ceremony that President Bush had? Well, and the impact of the law passing. The Navajos had their recognition again first, and then when Obama came, they had the recognition of 35 tribes. And the very first 
uh, and according to my research, uh, during World War I and being with infantry, I can attest that, that um, communication with other companies, within the company, and with artillery is very important, especially artillery. And the Germans were breaking all the codes down, just like the Japanese were doing during the World War II during in, the, in, in the Pacific War. And so in World War I, there was this army officer walking by, these two Indian guys, and they were sitting there bumping their gums, you know, talking in their language. It was a Choctaw language. So he stopped and interviewed them and put one out of an infantry and one in the artillery. Mm -hmm. And then they got the artillery going because mm -hmm. once uh, the Germans figure out what's happening, like say they're coming and then they give the direction they can disperse so the artillery comes and lands okay. you know, yeah. uh, harmlessly. Um, I just want to add that my dad, <laughs> being a Lakota, they, you just can't pass up the humor. Um, he knew that the Germans were listening. And, and so he learned how to say, Guten Morgen. <laughs> he'd, he'd say, Guten Morgen, Fritz. <laughs> then he threw in, Dila Monzenik said, which means you're a worthless person. <laughs> but in Lakota, not in German. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So that's how, I mean, and, and they, they served in different capacities. Uh, sometimes they went out um, on a recon by themselves, and they, they were taught map reading, which is very important. Yeah. Be able to, get, yeah to, give, to be able to get the artillery and yeah. have the correct right. map. Um, they were taught uh, escape and evasion, mm -hmm. um, camouflage. Um, they were taught to, uh, what else? Well, it, it seems it sets up a problem. If the language is very esoteric and symbolic and a military issue has to be very concrete, precise, it cannot be abstract. So how would two Lakota co-talkers speak about, with precision, about a certain issue? About you can say the same thing in about three to four different ways. And if you're a further, speaker, you understand it. Okay. So, further increasing the uh, with that translation the, the issue. Yeah. Yeah. If they caught somebody, and they never did, if they, but if they had caught a Lakota person, and say, what are they saying? And they're saying different things. You know, you can't say, well, this is what he's saying because it might, there might be two ways to different. I mean, they might mm -hmm. mean two different ways. Okay. I was telling you about um, being polysemic. That it it uh, confuses people. Mm -hmm. And the Navajos, they went through a school, and they developed, you know, like uh, 
tank was a turtle and all that kind of stuff. Uh, from the nearest um, that I can gather with my dad, they didn't go through that um, because it was, you could say it, and some people came up with some kind of um, system. But they understand, I mean, if you're feeling like Lakota speaker and you understand uh, somebody says something, you, under, you understand exactly what it means. Or you means uh, something that is not quite, and, and you can give wrong information too. Mm -hmm. And they said they did that. They would tell a joke and then they'd give a whole bunch of wrong information and tell another joke and tell the right information. Yeah. So there were ways that they were doing it to confuse the army, or oh, the Germans, yeah. in case they understood, but they never did. Yeah. But they had a good time about it. And then they would tell each other news from back home, and somebody would you know, say, uh -huh. you know your girlfriend's going out with so-and-so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well... Francis, I've learned that uh, I've been saying Crazy Horse Wrong my entire life, and uh, Sitting Bull. And uh, any, other, any other terms that I need to uh, be more clear on? Well. Or Pahasapa, that's, that's another yeah, one. Yeah, Pahasapa, it's Chesapa. Oh, another one is, um, there's a county, and they said, they call it Minihaha. And they said, oh, ha ha, it means laughing water. Mm -hmm. Well, um, there's a diacritical mark that goes over the H, and it's pronounced ha, ha. So it's mani ha ha. Uh, what do you think it means? Waterfall. Not complicated. Okay. So what's water? Was there a waterfall around Sioux Falls? <laughs> there is. So Sioux Falls in Minnehaha County is completely wrong. Yeah. Both of them are completely wrong. As a matter of fact, when the uh, University of, yeah, it was the University of North Dakota, um, they were fighting, they were doing something to keep their name Fighting Sioux. Right. So I wrote an article and said, uh, well, if they really want to keep the term fighting Sioux, uh, they should keep the correct translation and call themselves uh, fighting little snakes. <laughs> right, right, right. According to the Chippewa and the French. Yeah, yeah. according yes. to the Chippewa and the French. Well, I think... Uh Maybe we'll do some 605 Live questions from the audience, if uh, Jennifer will allow us. And okay. Don't give it to him. <laughs> uh, I've had the good fortune of knowing Francis for several years. I'll be gracious. And I'm from the town that was Ishtakaba in Minnesota, and I'm probably not saying it correctly, but Growing up as I did in the farm country, I knew no Dakota people. The only Lakota I know well is the gen gentleman on stage. And in the part of the country I grew up in, as you said, we have different meanings for words or we say it in a slight different way. If we want to con 
say something nice about a person, we say they're really, they're a fine person. But if you want to put emphasis on it, you use a negative to describe it. And so Francis is a fine SOB. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I know, Bob, our night out years ago, maybe 20, 30 years ago, would be eating some salsa he got from some place and some beer he got from some place and sit in a, his table with magnifying glasses looking at old pictures. That was our night out. <laughs> <laughs> We'd like to thank Howard and Dorothy Groover for their passion for history and the support of the South Dakota State Historical Society. It's through gifts such as theirs that we're able to tell South Dakota's history. We'd like to thank our partner, South Dakota Public Broadcasting, and most importantly, we'd like to thank you for listening. Please rate us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to find podcasts. We'll be back in a couple weeks with another episode of History 605.